0: Welcome everybody to another edition of We Talk Photo. I'm one of your hosts, John Peterson, and with me as always is Mr. Jack Graham. How you doing, Jack?
1: I'm doing good, John. I'm watching the wind.
0: Yeah, we uh, got slammed up here today. We're getting a big windstorm and watching the garbage fly up the street. It's all good. Always a good time here in suburbia. Winter in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Can't complain. Well, today we have um, a wonderful guest coming back to us. He is one of the finest black and white photographers that you'll ever see. Know, he is the finest. He is. Okay. Yes. Thank you. In my book. Yeah. Yep. Is John Barkley on the show? Is
2: that? <laughs> oh, oh.
0: <laughs> so with that introduction, here is Cole Thompson. How you doing today, Cole?
2: Good, John. And Jack, good. <laughs> Glad to be here. Thanks for having me back after that last time, man. I thought I'd never be invited again. Oh no! no. It's
1: funny you mentioned Barkley. If he list, if John, if you're listening to this, you're like um, the one of the best photographers that knows a lot about music that I know. Oh, so, okay, that's I what think. he and I spent
2: our entire time talking about
1: and music. We'll, maybe we should do a podcast about music sometime. If, hey, you know. I think there is that's such great. a huge connection between music and photography. I don't know why or why, but I do. Yeah, and I'll, I'll put in a little plug right now. I just wrote uh, is an article on my blog um, that went up a couple weeks ago. That talks about how the brain, how, how jazz musicians' brains work. Um, it, this has been a study that's been done over the years. And brains of jazz musicians, I say, and photographers are very similar in that we've learned the, are, the good photographers. I'll talk about Cole but about me, maybe John, but certainly me. Um, we've been able to adapt both the cognitive side and the creative side to work at the same time mm. and in music they proved that only jazz musicians have the ability to do that, classical players really just read music they don't, mm. not, they're not improvising, you know, but if you got a minute, call read that article I think you'd enjoy it, there's a lot okay. of a lot of um, kind of the things you can click on that prove what I'm talking about and and it's an interesting thing so. well but John and I, I spent am. our
2: entire days talking about music and songwriters and artists and, and, I, and before we leave John I do want to say one thing about John, of all the photographers I
1: know, John Barclay is the tallest <laughs> <laughs> I was playing a trumpet one night on a job and it was one of those nights that I played re- really well you know And a guy walked up to him, and he goes, hey, man, he goes, I have heard a lot of trumpet players in my life, and you certainly are one. (laughs) True story. Anyhow, Cole, thank you for taking some time. I know you just got back from Death Valley. We're going to talk about that a little bit. And uh, doing two back-to-back workshops down there, you've got to be a little tired. But um, we're on video, folks, here, but we're only recording audio. And... I have to tell you cole looks like he slept for two days i wish i yeah was rested little. and fresh yeah well thank you for being here what's new since we talked to you last oh my gosh
2: how long's that been i think that was pre-covid certainly yeah. so
0: yeah everything's new
2: everything's new boy oh boy oh boy um, you've been doing well you know COVID brought a lot of challenges a lot of taking care of a lot of family so didn't get out as much during COVID, as anyone would have hoped to, but still created some new images. And uh, just finished a kind of a strange one for me, negative intersections, a kind of a COVID-inspired one. I couldn't get out and shoot, so I took existing images. And I had this epiphany. I was in Minneapolis area, and I saw these stand of trees, very uh, leafless trees, and it just struck me that they were—you couldn't tell if they were in the negative or in the positive. And that got me thinking about how behind every positive image is this negative one lurking. And what would happen if the two intersected? So this new project called Negative Intersections, uh, I completed that. Now I'm busily working on my latest project, which is power lines. Just really just mundane old power lines, but try to see them in a more artistic way.
0: You know, and and I think, Cole, that's a great... Uh, point to make for the audience that you don't need amazing subjects or amazing locations. You can create beautiful art with something as simple as power lines. Absolutely, and
2: I feel bad because you know if you look at some of my portfolios, they are in you know Faroe Islands, Easter Island, and so on, and, and and it would be easy for someone to get that impression. You need to go to a spectacular place to make spectacular
1: images. You know, we hear all the time, and John, you vouch for this. Clients come from you know Chicago, and they come out here to the Pacific Northwest, or the Colorado, or to California, and they go, "Man, you guys are so lucky!" Man, you get out of your car and the picture right there, and man, we we you know we've got these planes, and God, there's just nothing to photograph here. And I look at them, and I said, "Man, I used to live. I lived in Illinois, and I lived in Ohio." And there's a lot of stuff probably within a mile of you. You just have to look, you know. We hear it all the time. And it's not true. I hear that about Colorado,
2: the mountains, the trees. I really don't ever shoot the mountains and trees in Colorado. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny uh, when people find out how I do travel. When I travel, I do two things. I purchase a flight, I rent a car, and that's it. I don't book hotels. I don't look at other photographers work from that area. And I never, ever buy a guidebook. I tell people, why would I want to go see the must-see sites that have been photographed a billion times before by a million other people? So I, I really just go somewhere and I wander. And that's really what I love to
1: do. Well, you do it well. And, uh, I, you know, are you ever going to do a book, like a coffee table book or anything?
2: Well, you know, in the old days when we were young pups, you thought that the success meant getting your work into a big name gallery, selling it for thousands of dollars, and having a book published. That's kind of the old formula. and uh, I've talked with Brooks about this, and he's kind of got me convinced that's an old formula, and the new formula uh, books aren't really a part of it. yeah, uh, I just don't yeah, see I- people buying books anymore. He says in fact, most people sell I think he said around seven hundred books, and the rest sitting in there basement and, you know they're giving them away you know you know
1: what though music. I have to tell you in my music room I, I have walls of people's photography books not necessarily how to books but you know Art Wolf's books and and, and you know Galen stuff and when I'm listening to music I'll pull a, just pull a book off the wall I love I, I, I see pictures better on print than, than on paper than I do maybe it's my age that I do on a, on a monitor uh, but Brooks's Lenswork magazine, is certainly, I look at it as a book every time I get Absolutely. it. It's a little book. I mean, it's not, it's not you know, outdoor photographer on seven tips to photograph yeah. the fall color, You know, it, it, Lenswork and it's beautifully book. printed. Oh my gosh, it's gorgeous, yeah. and and uh, we, you know, he's a he's he's a master. But uh, no, but you know. The, the problem, I think, I think with books, there was a time when if you did a book, it was like a business card. It, it gave you instant credibility. Yeah. You know, you could you could tell your people that, well, I have a book, you know. Yes. I had a client once that said to me, it's just you know, my work is so good. It should be in a gallery. I said, you want to be in a gallery? I'll give you 10 galleries. You could be in tomorrow. They'll charge you, you know, $100 a nail a month. And if you sell something, if you sell something, they get, like, half. So if you want to be in a gallery, I mean, you can get in a gallery real easy these days. Not, you just pay for it. And then you can say you're in a gallery. But It is interesting
2: if the kids of today who are raised on video games and iPads and iPhones, if a print is in their future. Uh, I am amazed, though, when they see a real print. Like, I'll speak sometimes at our local high school, and I bring a box of prints, and it's almost like it's an epiphany to them. Uh, there is something different about a print. I don't know how to quantify it, but there totally. is well, special. I think
0: I think a little bit is the is the quality of the way the information hits your eyeball, you know, reflected light versus backlit on the monitor. These kids grow up with backlight, and the minute they see reflected light on a print, it hits different. You know, my and, kids. My kids are the same way. They're glued to their screens, and I show them an actual print, and they're. It the reaction is so cool.
2: And and there's something about an average print can look pretty nice on a backlit monitor. Uh, it, it takes a quality image to really print well. Uh, yeah, I don't know where the future holds, but I guess right now I don't see a book in my future. Just.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I wish you. I wish you. I wish you would. But I get it. And plus, you know, you got to get a good printer. And doing a book's not cheap. No, no it's a so can. I can, can sell
2: books. Yeah. i yeah. no, just collect. Collect, collect my lens work and tape them together and.
0: Yeah. Call that a book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Hey, so Cole, I got a. I got a hard-hitting question for you. Now, I I, I was listening to one of your presentations from a little while ago, and you you made the statement that you see everything in black and white. Everything, every subject can be shot in black and white, which I think is a very, very wonderful, fair statement coming from you. Except you had one exception to to everything could be black and white, and that one exception was unicorns. Yes. You said unicorns have to be in color. I've added a second one, or
2: photos of John Barclay. Or, and if you had a photo of John Barclay riding a unicorn, absolutely, positively, that must be in color with an eagle on his shoulder. <laughs> Ooh, and a rainbow, and an or, Oh, an, an aurora borealis in the
0: background. I'm liking it. <laughs> I did not see this turning into a, a Barclay roast today, but this is awesome. Oh my gosh. <laughs> But I'm going to be with him in just a, few,
1: a little bit this afternoon. I'll Probably have about. to send him uh, an email to tell him that he's...
0: <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. But, but, but I, I think, think your original premise is, is quite good of, you know, everything can be black and white. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, I've had a lot of people who connect with black and white, and
2: they'll write me now. The the feeling they express is they find color distracting. Yes. And I, and I know that not everybody kills that way, but I do too. I find that it gets in the way and uh, to me a black and white image is a naked image there's nothing to
0: hide behind you've got to have a strong composition I've always felt they're more rewarding artistically because you as the artist have to compose with pattern shape texture and not color because color can hide a bad composition but to your point black and whites are naked and it's it's really that artistic vision so I, I, now, I love them as an artist. There's all these fads that come and go.
2: You know, we went through that terrible one of... Uh, what's that one? Extreme... Uh, HDR. Uh, HDR. We went yeah. through that. where We seem to be in the midst of intentional camera movement. And they just keep coming. And, I, you know, long exposure was a fad. Star uh, photography. And everybody is shooting those, and then you'll see a switch to a new one. And I, th- I don't think that's good. I think one should... Find their vision and see things as they see them, not
0: as the current fad or anyway. Well, that, that's, my, that's my whole thing: vision. I, I'm glad you brought that up. That was kind of one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was was vision. Um, you, you did a whole section on on uh, on people finding their vision or or discovering their vision, and and talk a little bit about you know are they born with it or or are they not born with it? Could you sort of paraphrase a little bit your thoughts on personal vision?
2: Yeah. You know, I'm doing a presentation for Out of Chicago tomorrow on vision, and actually today's one with John is on vision. And I think about it a lot. I've been thinking about it and working on it and trying to understand it for 20 years now. Uh, For most of my life, I was a photographer, and I saw with my eyes, and I documented I didn't believe in manipulation. I believe that we, our job as a photographer was to represent reality, which of course we all know is crazy. But that's how I felt. And then in 2004, I had this big challenge to find out what was vision and did I have one. And it took me two years until I finally discovered it. And the most important thing I learned about vision is that we all have one. It's not some people do. Everybody has a vision because it's simply how you see when you get all the other voices out of your head. How did Ansel do Yosemite? How did uh, my mentor tell me I should do it? What do the rules of composition say? What do the the latest magazine article on the ten tips to great uh, a great image say? You get everything out of your head and you just see how you see. Whether or not it conforms, whether or not it's in fashion, whether or not it follows the rules, you see how you
0: see. Well, well, That's I think, your yeah, I think I think one of the things you said too is that is that your vision is really sort of the sum total of your life's experience, yes. and that influences how you see and interpret the world around you. It's like it's like yeah. a lens in front of your eyes. Yeah, I mean.
2: We all see so differently. I mean, we've all experienced it. I'll go to Death Valley, I'll shoot, and then I'll go see somebody else who produced work from that same area, and I go, wow, I didn't see that. I'm a dumb son of a gun. I didn't see that. And now I realize it's just because their vision is different than mine. And I probably saw things they didn't
0: see. It's just how we see. So so for our folks out there who who might, may be interested in this topic, how do you how do you discover your vision and how do you sort of quantify or document or define what that vision is for you? You don't define it. You just feel it.
2: You just feel it. And the biggest impediment, I call them vision blockers. Defining one's vision is listening to all the other voices. As long as you're listening to those voices, yours can't break through. That's why I say, I tell people, look, you can't go take a course on vision and come out with a certificate and your vision. It's in there and you have to discover it. And that means getting rid of all the crap. Uh, The biggest one for me was caring what others thought of my work. You know, so many of us create to get pats on the back, likes, sales, contests, ribbons. And when you're creating for those reasons, your vision cannot be there. It just can't survive all that. So you've got to get rid of all the crap and caring what others think and trying to win and trying to earn likes.
0: I, would, you know, I, I think part of that too, though, sorry, Jack, one more thing. I think, I think part of that too, though, is being um, in touch, self-aware and in touch with what's going on inside of you so you can feel when you're out in the field and, and respond to your environment and... That's sort of a a gateway for allowing your vision to come out.
2: Oh, yeah. And, And John talks about this a lot. Many of us go to Death Valley and say, I want to get this one shot. And they go there with this, you know, tunnel vision. I want to get this shot, get this shot, get this shot. And they're so focused, they miss everything else that is being presented. So it's not bad to have an idea of what you want to go after, but you have gotta be open to what else is being presented. Uh, here's a story that I had. Uh, I'm in Bandon, Oregon, and I go there, I used to go there before COVID every September. Last time and, we saw
1: each other was in Bandon. Is that right? Well, we, you were working on one end of the beach and I was on the other end of oh, the beach. I think we waved. My together, so. Oh my gosh.
2: So I am at Bandon and it's one of those rainy years. Every day, it's raining so hard that I just really can't get out. I mean, it's just really raining. And I got just so discouraged. And so I decided to drive up to uh, Cannon Beach. And I get up there, and it's sunny. So I'm walking down the beach, and there's those two uh, monoliths. And I get there, and right then, the clouds move right, the fog moves right in. And I go, oh, that's it. I give. I give. I'm going home. I'm going to run a movie. I'm going to get a steak. And I'm just going to veg because this isn't working. And then I'm starting to walk back to the car down the beach in the fog. And then I said, wait a minute. Those monoliths are no longer available, but what is available? And I see these people walking through the fog, a group of people. And I do a real high key shot, long exposure. And I called it, they walk among us. And I love that shot, very high key. And it just reminded me, there's always something being presented if we can see
1: it. And you got to Stie- get into that. So. Stieglitz made the comment. I think he said, where there's light, there's a photograph. <laughs> you know? I've been That's-
2: challenging myself by trying to, every time in a hotel room, to, try to find a fine art image within that dingy little hotel room. Yeah. Just to challenge myself, just as a fun project.
1: You know, I, I had a, a actually, this happened more than once. I once had somebody tell me that their New Year's resolution was that next year, I'm going to find my vision. Mm. And I looked at the guy and I said, "Um, it's not going to happen. The vision will find you. And, you know, you'll figure out at some point, hopefully, you know, what you, how you see. And it'll be, may not be the same way that. You know, a friend of yours So it. You'll, it, 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 it'll come to you. You, I don't know that you can find it for years. Again, in the music business, I had people say, Oh man, you know, you must have been born with this mm. ability to play music. And I, I, I used to believe that. I, I don't really believe that anymore. I believe that anybody can do anything they want to do as long as they find out what they love. Put the time in and just let yourself go and not pigeonhole yourself. I agree. In fact, the big epiphany
2: I've just recently had is that we hold ourselves back. We limit ourselves. We think we weren't born creative or we weren't raised creative or we don't have the same talent as Van Gogh or as Steiglitz or as anyone else. But we do. We have all the same potential. We just have to learn how to unlock it and believe that it's possible. Yeah, I can't fine. tell you how many what people are like? tell They tell me they don't believe they have a vision. I say, you can't not have a vision. Yeah. It is simply how you see.
1: Yeah. You know, and that changes. You know, I, I had people, you know, on, on, on my uh, website, on the homepage, that Mr. Peterson handles with such professionalism, um, I've got a little slideshow and somebody called me uh, a few months ago after which I changed some images and I said, you know, your stuff is really different than it was three or four years ago. You're, you're a lot more minimalistic now and you're doing a lot more black and white and it's not as complicated and, you know, everything that you did used to have a leading line and it did this and it did that. I, I said, well, I guess I haven't really thought about it. And I, I consciously didn't think about it. And I look back at the stuff. And I said, well, maybe they're right. But, you know, when, when it changed, it wasn't something I didn't say, well, today I'm going to go out and not do this anymore. I just. Yeah, it does evolve as we
2: evolve.
0: Mm-hmm. How
2: about you, John? What's your experience with vision?
0: Well, I think, I think the first step is, is finding out what, for me, it was finding out what I'm passionate about to photograph what inspires me and what gives me energy when I'm out in the field and then following that and to see where that goes. And, and to your point, Cole, I think, you know, I, I always feel the tug it's, I think it's a constant battle for me, but feel the tug of, well, I'm in this beautiful location. I should be shooting this, but my passion lies over here. So Mm -hmm. what do I do? And, and it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a fun push and pull. With that, but I think I think for me the 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 concept to get a vision is really for me it's more directed internally. What am I passionate about? How how does that translate into my art? How do I bring my passion into my photographs? And that I interpret as my vision. And I'm glad you've used the word passion so often because I've kind of
2: come to conclude that. Uh, passion is such an important ingredient in a successful image, or especially a success, successful series. I like to say that I, my best images are created at the intersection of vision and passion.
0: Yeah, yeah, very good. And I think, I think for me, that sort of triggers my other soapbox that I've been on recently, at least in my mind, of. We're so caught up in the technical aspects of our gear and photography that we are um, uh, deaf to our inner voices of what we should be shooting because we're so caught up in the technical side. We don't flex the creative side, kind of going back to Jack's point. And, uh, And so I'm on this little crusade to get people to stop Worrying about the technicalities of things and just follow your heart. Oh, I, I, I can get going
2: on that one too. I can relate to it because I was that way for 35 years. Yeah. I didn't think I had a creative bone in my body. I thought that photography was a technical art. Therefore, I could compensate for my lack of creative abilities by excelling in the technical.
1: And that's a normal, that's how most yeah. people. Who own cameras are, and that's what's uh, what what separates camera owners from artists is <laughs> is letting go of that. You know that there there are people who post images all over the place and want to be told how great they are, and 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 they're using the technical benefits of today's gear and software that only goes so far. That's why I listen to. That's why I just want to listen to me. You know, people ask me, say, well, you're almost listening to music as much as you're photographing these days. And I said, yeah, you know why? Because you can't Photoshop a good musician. You can <laughs> play or you can't play. Wait
2: a minute, Jack. Now, I'm told that when singers sing, and especially at live concerts, they have some kind of a tuning thing that they can actually change <laughs> their voice. Yeah. Now, to me, that's Photoshopping their voice. So
1: Yeah, I but you still that. have to be able to 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 put some kind of personal feeling into true you how, how loud do you sing how soft do you sing what do you accent you know there, there's a lot that goes into it and and again with this music that we ought to do something we'll get john on and you and maybe tony sweet or yeah, a couple cool. other people who are. Of course, I kid Tony all the time. You know, he says, "Well, I'm I'm an ex-musician." I said, no, Tony, "You're a drummer." <laughs> but <laughs> but um, you know, uh, it's it, it such a collaboration there that when you take a photograph, I mean, you have to decide how bright do you want it to be, how dark, how, what do you want to emphasize. It, it's the same thing, and and that's part of vision. It's what what you want to do, and it's. It's, it's like you said before we started recording, you know, get away from watching the weather so you kind of have an idea what's going to happen wherever you're going because it's never going to be like that. And don't have any preconceived. Just go. Just do. figure out what you want to do and do it. It's a big world. Well, because I was so gear-centric for 35
2: years, that's part of the reason why I'm passionate about, I speak to so many camera clubs, uh, two, three, four a week. And I love doing that because I understand that mentality. And and so the goal for me is to try to get them to appreciate they do have a vision, they can be creative, and that gear is one component, but not the critical component to a great image. It is vision. For me, vision is driving the shot, it's driving the post-processing. So it's those three components, vision, the shot, post-processing, with vision driving the other two that creates a great image. That if you just try to focus on the shot and the post-processing without the vision, all you've got is a technically perfect but soulless image. So that's why I love speaking to those groups. I understand them. I was there. I want them to understand there's more. I see so many, they long for more, but they don't know what it is.
0: Yeah, and they don't know how to get there. Yeah. Yeah, even if they knew so many what it it is. I, yeah. There was one of your quotes that really resonated with me when, when talking about vision. It's, it's, uh, I'll sort of paraphrase your words. And you said that uh, people sometimes feel that they need the technical skills to execute mm-hmm. their vision. But in fact, your vision has to come first. And then you can add any technical skills that you're missing. Any skills that you need to execute that vision. And I demonstrate that
2: in my presentation of a couple of projects where I didn't have the technical skills, but I had the vision. I obtained the skills. Anybody, including John Barclay, can learn a new skill, but to have the vision. (laughs) Poor John. (laughs) Yeah, poor John. (laughs) <laughs> I was at a presentation back. He's one of these uh, New England gathering of many groups. And John was in the audience. And I said, I'm going to mention John Barclay's name 100 times during this presentation. So it was ridiculous because at every <laughs> pause, I would mention John Barclay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's okay.
2: awesome. But yes, I do believe that vision must come first. And those people who want to argue, yeah, but you've got to have the technical skills to express it. Well, yeah, you do, but you'll learn them as needed. You don't go into this saying, I've got to have a full toolbox before I begin working on being creative
1: or having a vision. Peterson and I take a group up to Alaska to shoot the bears up at Katmai, And, you know, we're up there shooting at 12,600 ISO and uh, uh, and I tell him, I said, you know, I said, Lynn Rue used to come up here, and when when Kodak Koda came out with hundred speed film, it was like a epiphany. <laughs> I said, and, and 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 he made great photographs, and you know, I, I don't know. We this is a we this is something that a lot of people have talked about, and I yeah. I think a lot of people who are working toward this vision mountaintop, I think deep down they know that it's not the gear, but you know, the camera manufacturers and the advertising, they've done a good job telling everybody if you don't have the newest and most technically advanced camera, you're going to fail, which is, as we know.
2: Well, I think we need to just, we have to get through to people and tell them you can be creative. You do have a vision. Uh, some believe me, and some try, and some don't. and They go right back. I'll show my. I love to show my before and after images because it shows what the eye sees versus what I was envisioning. And then, as I finish that, you can see him asking technical questions. Well, how did you do that in Photoshop? Yeah. I'm thinking that if I could do what you did on the Ghost of Auschwitz Birkenau, I then could create a a series as powerful as The Ghost of Auschwitz-Birkenau.
0: You'd, you'd
1: go through this whole talk and then you have your Q&A and the first question is, well, what filter did you use for that? Yeah,
2: yeah. And uh-huh. now when people say, what camera do you have? I'll just say a Canon. They'll say, well, what model? I go, I'm not sure.
1: My answer is the one that I carry. <laughs> There's an old, old story that, uh, I, I won't use the name, but someone we know that wrote a lot of books back in the... Sixties about photography and uh, his first, his last name is Shaw. Uh, the story is someone asked him what what, what uh, aperture are you using and his answer was the right one. <laughs> and you know, he was right because for him, it, it's the right one. For you, it might yeah. not be the right one. And it's the correct answer.
2: My current rage against the machine is sharpness everybody is so focused on sharpness and you know I, I don't try to not have a sharp image but we're, we take people out on the dunes and I'm shooting a 500 millimeter with a 2x converter I'm at a thousand and I've got it stopped all the way down and it's f91 she's and, cold. Uh, wait a minute wait Tell a minute, you wait. never
1: to use a 2x converter <laughs> God.
0: Yeah.
2: Let's get and I shoot the into the and I shoot into the Sun too and and people oh no you got to use the optimal aperture it's not going to be as sharp and i go look it rarely is an image going to be improved by sharpness at least not mine in fact i can think of many of my images such as maybe the angel gabriel that would have been hurt by sharpness and then we had a girl and she wants to have we're, we're doing these dune stacking you know some of the dunes are close some are in infinity and she wants them all in sharpness and she goes how do i do that and i go, "Well." You stop it down all the way, and she goes, "Oh, I can't." I go, "Why?" She goes, "Well, I, sh- I got to shoot at f/8. That's my optimal aperture." Hmm. It's like it's craziness, you know, letting the crazy things rule artistic
1: things. Well, it's because they've read it, and yeah. Well, you
0: know. and it's it. You know, I, I wrote an article about this that's coming out soon, but it's it's the the technical side of this industry is very easy to talk about people get it it's it's an easy thing to talk about apertures and and uh camera specs and all that kind of stuff it's much more difficult to talk about the subjective aspects of photography because it's it's so individual that you can't you can't get clicks if you're talking about something that's very personal and subjective yeah and that's why people are focused on this. tradition was
1: forget about clicks; just make your photograph. Yeah, make exactly. your art. Make well, your just, art. I, mean, I have to tell you, if you think if you think Polonius Monk cared about everybody liking his playing, you know, he would have never become the genius that he well, was. Well, unfortunately, have a that's great quote what's about driving the content. About you know, but, I have
2: to f- paraphrase Polonius Monk's. Uh, he says, "You play what you play, and if others don't understand it, just give them ten or twenty years, and they'll understand." it. Exactly. <laughs> you do what you do. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
0: So, speaking of Photoshop, Cole, I got one for you. Do you still <laughs> just use six tools in Photoshop? Six. Not even six tools. There are six
2: steps. I six yeah. steps. Yeah. Yeah. There are six steps. All it's ridiculously right. simple, and I get people to fight me on that. And I, I just was demonstrating that, and I, I tell people, "Look." All of you probably know Photoshop better than I do. And you're going to raise your hand and say, did you know you could do this or this instead of this? And I I always say this, will it improve my image? If the answer is no, I don't want to hear it. Fine, it might be easier. It might be another way, whatever. But if it won't improve my image, I don't care. I'm looking for simplicity. I'm getting of an age where remembering things get harder and harder. I can remember my six steps. On a good day, I can. And it's just as simple as I can make it. If I hit an image that needs something more, I'll learn it. But otherwise, keep it simple, stupid.
0: Okay. John will tell you
1: that I tell our workshop people, I said, I don't care how you process the image. If you, you could stand on your head with one arm tied behind your back with a Wacom pen in your mouth. <laughs> I just want to see the image, when it's done. I don't care what you use, I don't care what you do. I just want to see the photograph. Well,
2: that's, that's similar to equipment. Some people pride themselves in these incredibly complex procedures. And, you know, I don't even know how to do layers. The other day when I was starting negative intersections, I thought I would need a layer. And so I called John up and I said, John, how do I do layers? And he tried to explain it to me. I just couldn't get it. My brain doesn't work in layers. And so I found another way to do it without layers. I literally don't know how to do them.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't have to be a lot, folks. You you don't have to go overboard, for sure. Simpler is always easier. It is.
2: Less things to maintain, less things to go wrong.
0: Well, What's in, your, unless that is your passion and your hobby of processing images. But then Some people love
1: that. Oh, yeah. Some people rather yeah. process than be out, photograph. Yeah. Or just be out. You know, I think, and that's a discussion that Guy and Michael and some of us have had. You know, sometimes who cares about the photograph? You get to go to such great places. You just got back from Death Valley. And uh, I'm sitting here in rainy Washington wishing I was in Death Valley right now. You know? yeah, where are you, John?
0: Uh, Portland, Oregon. Oh, so you're in rainy country, too. Yeah, so I'm just a stone's throw from Jack getting hammered by the rain. And uh, it's all good. Portland, that's... A- Portland's big Trump country, isn't it? Oh no, that's <laughs> no. The little valley is uh, is all very liberal, but the rest of Oregon is pretty conservative. So we get a, we get a fair mix of everybody.
1: Interesting, uh, Cole. What's on your plate? Where are where you going? I mean, what do you what do you have coming up? Anything
2: exciting? Oh, uh, going to Hawaii. I always love shooting there. Uh, John and I are going to uh, Faroe Islands finally after getting it canceled from COVID. And I've been trying to talk him into doing Easter Island the following year. It's a great place, a very unusual place, a very, boy, in my mind, almost sacred place. And it's uh, tough to get there, but it's a fun trip.
1: You need somebody to carry your gear because I know you probably take a thousand lenses. and No,
2: nope. <laughs> everything I own is in a single bag, everything.
1: Yeah, that's that's the one resolution I tell everybody every year. Buy a smaller camera bag every year. Just <laughs> fill whatever you have. Yeah,
0: yeah uh, you do. Yeah. Hey, Cole, I got one other one other topic for you um, that I wanted to talk about, and that was uh, portfolios, and kind of tying it back to our discussion around vision. Um, you know, in a way that can be. So, so I, I'm going to ask you to sort of define your portfolio, concept of portfolios, but, but for me, you know, looking through one's library and finding collections of images sort of can be an insight into what somebody might be passionate about or where they see some of their creative energy developing by doing this kind of exercise. But what's your concept of a of a portfolio?
2: Well, first, let me say that I never worked in portfolios, never even wanted to. Uh, I just called myself a photographic grazer. I like to wander wherever the grass was greener, and I'd get these individual greatest hits, but nothing that really tied together or spoke to a single message. And then when I submitted the lens work, the submission guidelines, the very first time I did it said, the submission guidelines said, send 15 to 25 images on a single subject. Don't send us your greatest hits. And I thought to myself, well, he's never seen my greatest hits. So I mailed them off. And they came back very quickly with this big handwritten note that said, pick one image, send me 15 on that subject. And that got me started on my first portfolio. And I was the first one in Lensworth. And I got hooked. And I, I suddenly realized, boy, I don't know what I was fighting against. I guess I had this concept in my head that a portfolio took years and years, and I've got a pretty short attention span. And I do have portfolios that have taken years, that the grain silos were done in nine months, trees from a train were done in 12 hours, and the Auschwitz-Birkenau series was done in an hour and 45 minutes. So they, I tell people they just take as long as they take. There's no rule. But I think of portfolios and collections different. I do have collections where I've sifted through my images and put them into a trees collection. But a portfolio to me is a little bit different. And I'm not sure I can express how, but it's a theme such as the uh, Ghost of Ashworth's Birkenau or Moy sitting for portrait. And it's very specific that I shot to. I just didn't sift through my images and put collections together. And mine always come from inspirational events that happen in my life. Uh, they just something that triggers me and, man, I'm off. So what inspired you about power lines? You know what's funny about power lines? I took my first power line shot probably in 2006. But then somebody made a comment to me. I've got a friend who's got an MFA, and he's always putting bu- bugs in my head that I need to ignore. And he said, well, that's not a fine art subject. So I never thought it was appropriate for me to pursue. Then about maybe 2012, I was in the book, Why Photographs Work publisher sent me the book, and I'm flipping through looking for my image, and I see this incredible three telephone pole power line uh, called, oh my gosh, I think it's called Three Crosses by, oh my gosh, I'd love to plug him, but I can't think of it, Brian Kosoff. Just, I fell in love with this image. I call him up and I buy a print of it. I just loved it so much. And then I'm thinking all the time, well, if I did a series, I can't now. I've seen his work. And then here, about a year ago, I thought to myself, "Why am I letting them tell me that power lines is not an appropriate fine art subject?" And so I just started delving into it. Just been having fun with it, and it's so easy to shoot because they're everywhere. Yeah, they are. Yeah, I you know, don't are. have to travel anywhere.
0: Yeah, well, that's awesome. I think I think portfolios is one of you know it's a great excuse or reason. To get out it's also a great motivator creatively to yeah. get you to think and observe the world around you um, like I, I have a portfolio that i've been working on for several years now called circles which is just round things that i find yeah yeah you know? and and i'm always on the lookout for them and always gets me poking into crevices and uh and looking for looking for circles you you if could you see haven't see
1: it. If you haven't seen it yet, there's a video, I think it's on Amazon Prime, called Jay Myself. And it's a story about Jay Maisel moving out of his seven-floor building in New York that, what he sold, bought it for 250,000, sold it for 40-something million. But it shows all the stuff that he used to collect, the photograph, so John. You're not alone in your insanity,
0: <laughs> that's good hey, that uh, you meant John Barclay did I no, no, Jack talking about insanity.
1: Oh oh well, yes, oh. <laughs> and by the way, I just sent John an email telling him he's a celebrity. And I copied you guys on. Uh, Cole, I got to tell you, we have to do this again. I know you're a busy, busy, busy person, but you know, let's not make it um, with two years. Uh, time flies. When
2: Probably you. three or four. I'm guessing. Yeah, it's been a while. Time
1: flies, and you know, maybe next time you come on, we can talk about gear and Photoshop and how to uh, how, how to make yeah. a crappy image look really. Yeah. Here are
0: seven uh, tips for black and white fall photography. How to spruce up that pig to make <laughs> it like,
2: like a movie star, you know? Yeah. Well, maybe you'll have video
0: next time so people
2: can see my gorgeous yeah, hair. I would love to have John along with me so they could
1: compare our hair. Yeah. We're talk, toying with the idea of doing the podcast. And then if, if we do it here on Zoom, which we're just recording audio. And people, let us know what you think if you'd like to see that. Yeah. Um, recording the video and just putting the video link up and and putting it up on maybe YouTube or somewhere things I'll have
0: to shave and put on a
1: nice shirt <laughs> I, mean, I, I shave man it's,
2: it well thanks so much for having me guys it's been a blast we love talking to somebody who feels the same we way about I'm
1: here forever I'm afraid my power is gonna go out I'm watching all the trash <laughs> you know of course it blows right at my house there's cans and paper. Crash kids. He'll give you Paul.
0: something to do, Jack. Go out and pick it up.
1: Yeah. Let's just send the dog out. Hey, Paul, thank you so much. And thank um, you. We'll, we'll do this again soon. Maybe we'll get you and John on. Would that be fun? I think so. But it's yeah. got to be on video. Yeah, on video. Okay. On... <laughs> we'll talk music. That'll be fun.
0: There you go.
1: If you have any questions, comments, and let us know about the video, um, send us an email at wetalkphoto.com at gmail. Any ideas on anybody um, you'd like to hear us try to find and and get here to get on here in the podcast? That'd be great too. John, hang in. We'll talk soon. Call. You are the best. Uh, and all kid on the side. Um, there, there is no finer monochrome photographer in my book. So thank well, you thank for you being nice. here, and we'll talk to you all again. No, bye bye.